governor's mandate on masks takes effect tomorrow. We'll hear from Attorney General Curtis Hill, who questioned the mandate's enforcement measures, and Mayor Joe Hogsett on the coronavirus and concerns about crime and unrest downtown. Plus, the end of an era at the State House. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Starting tomorrow, everyone in Indiana will be required to wear a mask when out in public. Governor Holcomb issuing that mandate to deal with the increase in the state's now record-setting COVID-19 numbers. Anyone eight and over will need to wear a mask while inside public places and outside if you can't safely socially distance. Now, this includes kids going back to school. Anyone third grade or older will have to wear masks in the classroom. The governor acknowledging the controversy this may cause while also pointing to research showing wearing a mask can reduce the spread of the virus by up to 80%. I know not everyone will be supportive of this mandate. Compliance and enforcement are always in question. Holcomb's opponent, Woody Myers, called it long overdue. But as the governor mentioned there on the topic of enforcement, he also faced opposition on the right after originally saying no mask would constitute a Class B misdemeanor. On Friday, Governor Holcomb's executive order said there would, in fact, be no criminal penalties. This after the governor faced a lot of political opposition from Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill and others who said the initial enforcement order was, quote, beyond the scope of the state's constitution. But here we're talking about enacting or enacting a law by executive order um, and, and actually providing a, a criminal sanction, identifying criminal conduct um, that is in the exclusive province of the legislature. Uh, so if someone is interested in that, whether it's the governor, whether it's a citizen, whether it's the legislature, that is a function that it requires the legislature to be in session to consider the question and go through its ordinary course of uh, determination and accountability uh, for the behavior. I believe if there are going to be criminal penalties attached to not wearing a mask, then the governor should seek to involve our state legislators, ultimately making sure that Hoosiers have the opportunity to participate in this, to see where their representatives stand and create a law by a constitutional process. Governor Holcomb had initially said he felt the emergency order from last spring gave him the authority to issue the order. Now, we're also hearing from the two people running for attorney general in November. Democratic nominee Jonathan Weinzapfel says, quote, the governor clearly has the authority to mandate masks. Republican Todd Rokita says our laws did not anticipate the situation we have today and says he plans to clarify some of these laws if he's elected. Vice President Mike Pence was back in Indiana this week, arriving in a mask with the second lady as he landed to discuss the topic of coronavirus and the reopening of our schools. Kayla Sullivan was there. Vice President Mike Pence says the federal government will provide the resources necessary to keep schools open this fall. He says they need to be open in person for several reasons. There are real costs uh, far beyond academics to our kids if they're not in school. Vice President Mike Pence says not only do students fall behind learning online, there are resources like school counseling, free or reduced priced lunches, and special needs education that are crucial to many American families. But he knows there is a cost to opening in person safely. We don't want finances uh, or uh, 
or, or any recommendations to be a barrier to safely reopening schools. The federal government already gave $30 billion to K-12 through education and higher education. Pence said the Trump administration is working on getting schools $105 billion more. Just at Marion, we budgeted $1.5 million extra to operate this year. Marion University president says it will likely cost more than that. They are spending a lot on safety precautions, like a new app that requires students to take their temperature and fill out health questions before each class. Wearing a mask will be required as well. Pence says he and the president support wearing masks. Is how we keep Indiana opening up, and it's how we open up Indiana schools. Vice President Mike Pence says he wants Hoosiers to know that he supports every decision Governor Eric Holcomb has made to keep people in Indiana safe from COVID-19. That includes a mask mandate that starts on Monday. Reporting from Marion University, I'm Kayla Sullivan. Many school districts statewide have already pushed back their reopening dates. Earlier this week, 4th District Congressman Jim Baird weighed in on returning to school. Well, I think, I think the schools have become a, a major issue. I think we have information that would suggest that students do extremely well and much better if they're in the school environment. So I think uh, we need to let those local school boards and school districts decide how they're going to do it. And matter of fact, they understand their district better than any of us. And so we want to have the backup for them, certainly, but help them decide in the CDC guidelines for letting those get those children back to school. They're, they're uh, uh, particularly vulnerable, in my opinion, in the rural areas, and most of my district is a rural area, do not have access to high-speed internet, and we found that to be extremely important to, to uh, virtual education. I've seen some of the plans for the schools, plans in my district for reopening, and they're very extensive. I mean, 50 to 60 pages, and so, they're going to look at all of those things that keep those children safe. That's going to be the number one priority is our children and keeping them safe. But then the opportunity to open up and if you'll check with the children and the teachers, most of them would really like to get uh, school reopened. All right. Meantime, in Marion County, the mayor now rolling things back to stage three social gatherings capped at 50 people. Restaurants restricted to 50 percent capacity indoors and they'll have to close at midnight while bars and nightclubs need to stay closed until August 12th. Churches are now at 50 percent capacity while gyms and tourist sites operate at 25 percent. Out in a crowded public space without a mask. Do better for your city. That's the message from Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett and Marion County health leaders that we have to do better. This as the mayor continues to deal with a lot of local businesses hurting both from the pandemic and from this summer's riots. And today we have a one on one interview with the mayor on his response to the unrest we saw this summer and the continuing impact of COVID-19. Uh, Russ McQuaid has more. These streets are quieter today than they were over the last weekend in May when peaceful but noisy protests deteriorated into two nights of riots, fires, looting, shootings, and murders that caused damages in the millions of dollars to downtown property and the Indianapolis economic engine that drives the state of Indiana. Well, it is uh, discouraging, uh, but I do believe that, uh, that Indianapolis uh, is in the process of rebounding. As Joe Hogsett and I walked down Washington Street and past the still boarded up buildings, 
he reiterated his faith in an independent three-member panel tasked with examining what happened that last weekend in May when social justice protesters found their message overwhelmed by two nights of violent rioting that Hogsett says even a curfew couldn't have stopped. I must say, Russ, given what I saw on TV and given the way Saturday night developed, I'm not altogether sure, even had I issued a curfew, that violence could have been prevented that night. Hogsett says he and his staff, if so requested, will sit for interviews by that investigative panel to find out what role they played in the IMPD decision-making that weekend. It's been really rough, and uh, a lot of us down here, a lot of the local businesses, we've had meetings. You know, we kind of felt like we were thrown to the wolves, especially that Friday and Saturday night. We were here in the middle of all this, and there was no police presence. There was nothing Saturday. It was a war zone down here. It's been really, really tough. I mean, we, we expected that the day after all of this to have everybody down here assessing what was going on, you know, being by our side. That's what we wanted. That's what we needed, too. It was a tough, tough weekend. Yeah. all of us down here. I know that, George. I know that. The mayor highlighted improvements in policing along the canal, the cleaning of streets, and more outreach to the homeless as examples of turning downtown around after a disastrous spring in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic and the riots. I think in short order, you're going to see Indianapolis come back, and Indianapolis will be, I hope, even better than it has been before. I asked the mayor if we should still consider having the Indianapolis 500 with more than 100,000 people gathered at the corner of 16th and Georgetown at the end of next month. He says the COVID-19 numbers and the percentage of infections in Marion County next month will give us that answer. Of course they want to be able to run the Indianapolis 500. I mean, they wouldn't be doing their job if they didn't want to run the Indianapolis 500. But whether or not and, or, and, and how, if it is run, it is uh, that people are protected, uh, that's up to all of us. And they have been fully cooperative to this point, uh, to every suggestion that we've made. No final decisions have been made, and they probably won't be for at least another couple of weeks. IMS further limiting their capacity for the 500 this week. Coming up this Sunday in Focus, when it comes to schools and the coronavirus, what can Education Secretary Betsy DeVos really do when it comes to pulling funding for schools? A former department staffer joins our panel up next. And the end of an era at the State House. We'll talk with State Rep Brian Bosma as he prepares for his final week in office. All right, welcome back. Time now to bring in our panel. Joining us today, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, Alexandra Hudson, and Adam Wren. And let's start with Abdul, who's the editor and publisher of IndiePolitics.org. Abdul, the governor faced a, a bit of a backlash from conservatives on the enforcement question when it comes to his mandate on masks that eventually led him Friday to change the way this would be enforced. Really, no enforcement mechanism in place at all now. Exactly. Uh, it's, yes, it's definitely not in the executive order. Uh, the governor did say on uh, his news conference this week that he was going to be like, you know, the mass police and was going to try uh, you know, to convince the better nature of Hoosiers to do this. So from that perspective, the governor is being consistent. Um, I, I don't know exactly why. Well, I, I take that back. I do know why a lot of my conservative friends don't like the mask order. Uh, they don't like you know, government telling them what to do regardless, period. And I'm like, you know, it reminds me of the seatbelt fight. Know, 30, 35 years ago. Uh, you know, the, the point of the mask is to prevent and help control the spread of COVID-19. And well, except why my Republican friends don't want to do this is beyond me. Uh, let's like, say, say they just don't like big government telling them what to do. 
Adam, your view on all of this, a lot of political layers, especially with the attorney general weighing in uh, just weeks after Republicans decided to pick another candidate for attorney general this year. That's right, Dan. Yeah, it's never good public policy when you announce on a Wednesday an executive order and by Friday uh, that executive order has lost all teeth. Uh, I think really this is an instance of Governor Holcomb getting um, outplayed, outmaneuvered by Attorney General Curtis Hill and also incoming uh, potentially uh, uh, the Republican nominee, uh, Todd Rokita, who also made a statement kind of questioning the legality of this. You also so, saw some coordinated uh, statements from county sheriffs that looked like they all sort of had similar language. Uh, so clearly, um, you know, Holcomb kind of got out ahead of his skis uh, when announcing this on Wednesday, saying that it would be a class B misdemeanor. And then by Friday, uh, all of those teeth are gone from the executive order. Enforcement or no enforcement, as Abdul was saying, hopefully uh, more people in masks can help certainly uh, stop the spread of, of this terrible disease. Uh, let's also talk about this coming school year uh, and the recent news from Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. Alexander, you served under Education Secretary DeVos, who has, of course, kind of talked about this notion, so as the president of defunding schools that don't open. Does she truly have the authority to, to do such a thing? No, neither the president nor the secretary of education have the authority to unilaterally uh, appropriate funds. Uh, that, that role falls to the legislative branch of our government, Congress. Um, but the question is, I mean, there, there, the Congress is currently talking about uh, an incredible amount of, of, of new resources that would be that allocated to schools as a part of this next uh, stimulus bill. And there is a legitimate debate to be had about how those resources uh, should be allocated, uh, especially to schools that, that don't reopen. And so the secretary, through, through her, her comments recently, she, she's always tried to uh, focus the conversation around parents and students and, and how they can be empowered to make decisions about uh, their education. Education. And um, and there are a, a number of a number of important uh, questions about that because we all know it is best for learning outcomes and social emotional development of students to get students back in the classroom as soon as possible. But we also know we're not out of the woods yet uh, when it comes to the state of the, uh, the pandemic, and we should leave those decisions up to uh, local districts and parents to collaborate with with local schools. Um, and and not the not the state superintendent sent superintendent not not Congress not the president not the secretary of education should be making that decision for. Yeah. For districts in a, our nation. A lot of debate, obviously, about schools, uh, both at the elementary, the high school, and the uh, the secondary level, the college level. Adam, you recently wrote about uh, former governor and Purdue president Mitch Daniels. Uh, it's it's quite a situation for everyone in education right now, approaching this this coming school year. That's right. Uh, in this case, Daniels was really one of the national leaders. Uh, back in May, uh, when we didn't know as much as we do now about the novel coronavirus, essentially saying that, look, we're going to find a way uh, for students to be able to be back on campus if they want to be. There's been some pushback from faculty and staff members um, and, and some students, but in the most, ca most cases, we're seeing a number of students uh, kind of take him up on his offer to be back on campus. Uh, students are, you know, getting tested. They're receiving a kit. 
uh, and and really trying to mask up. And um, you know, Mitch Daniels has been in meetings with Betsy DeVos, uh, where he has said that if colleges are going to return, they need protection from from liabilities, from lawsuits. And so, you know, in some ways, he's kind of, kind of playing both sides of the of the coin here. Uh, but we'll really see what happens, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks as students start to return to campus, and we'll see whether or not Mitch Daniels and other college presidents uh, were right that they could safely conduct the business of college. Uh, on the campus. Abdul, 100 days until Election Day coming up. We're going to be talking with both state party chairmen. Obviously, still a lot of questions about how voting will be conducted. Republicans and Democrats with different views right now on how this election should be conducted in the fall. Yes, uh, Democrats this week, uh, Indiana State House Democrats had a news conference uh, where they called for a special session. One of the things they wanted was for lawmakers uh, to pass, you know, no, no uh, absentee voting with no, 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 no excuse absentee voting. Uh, however, that really isn't necessary because we did it for the primary. Uh, we had basically, you can you know, mail in your vote for any reason. So there's no reason why you can't even do that for November. I think it will uh, likely happen again because I don't think we'll be out of the woods yet. Uh, but it is going to be, you're right, my friend, it's less than 100 days to go. But it's going to be a, one of many fun discussions we're going to be seeing here in Indiana. And Alexandra, with 100 days left until this election, uh, how, how steeply will this coronavirus continue to define really everything uh, when it comes to our politics and our elections uh, in this uh, very divided country right now. There's no question that it will continue to be front and center in our in our public discussion. It's affecting every aspect of our lives, yeah. especially with Governor Holcomb's new um, mask mandate. Um, so I just I just hope that we continue to uh, keep keep the end end goal in mind, which is getting through this until we have a have a, um, a vaccine that can allow life to turn back to some semblance of normalcy. But until then, there, we have to make a lot of sacrifices for, for one another and for the literal health of our community. Alexandra, Adam, Abdul, thank you all so much. Be safe out there. We'll see you again soon. All right, stick around. We'll be back right after this with much more, including our interview with State Rep Brian Bosma on his last week at the State House. It's uh, really something that for me, I have to protect the American people. That's what I've always done. That's what I always will do. That's what I'm about. President Trump announcing he'll no longer hold an in-person Republican convention in Jacksonville, Florida next month. There are more than 400,000 coronavirus cases in the state of Florida. Instead, the GOP will hold virtual ceremonies in Charlotte. Today marks 100 days until the election. And this week, I spoke with both state party chairmen here in Indiana about the impact the coronavirus is having this election year. It's also impacting how we can campaign. Um, you know, some of the some of the activities that we would normally be doing at this time, we just can't go out and do in a safe, healthy manner. So, we uh, it'll continue to be a topic that's that's certainly on the top of mind of voters as they go to the polls in November. Democrats have called for no fault absentee voting, as we saw in the primary. Is that a move you think we'll we'll need to look at again in the fall? I don't. Um, you know, I, I think we showed even by the time we got to the primary that in-person voting was could be conducted in a safe and healthy manner. Um, but what about voters who don't want to take that risk? Listen, the, there, there were emergency rules that were put in place uh, because we were shut down. You couldn't leave your home. That's really a legislative decision. That's not really a, a matter that should be left up to four commissioners at, a, at an election commission when it's not a true emergency, and we are past the true emergency. People can go out, live their lives in a safe and healthy manner.
Indiana just reported the uh, record number of cases uh, in one single day. We're over a thousand as of Friday. Uh, so I think there's a lot of concern from Hoosiers about their ability to vote in person. Uh, there were a half a million people that exercised their right to vote via mail uh, in the primary. Uh, cases are three times uh, what they are or what they were rather in March when the Indiana Election Commission officially voted to use no fault absentee. We're three times higher in cases than we were in Indiana on that day, March 25th of, of this year. So. This is, a, this is a system that works. A half a million people in Indiana exercised their right to vote that way. Uh, we believe that uh, action on it needs to happen now uh, rather than um, some Republicans saying that we need to wait to see that there might be a stay-at-home order or something. There's infrastructure that uh, should and can be put in place if we do this uh, in a, an orderly fashion now rather than waiting until the last minute uh, when there might be a stay-at-home order. Okay. Also this week, it's the end of an era at the State House with former Speaker Brian Bosma retiring from the legislature. I spoke with him Friday about the challenges his colleagues will face in the months ahead. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges lie ahead. I've been in fairly frequent uh, contact with both the governor and with, uh, in, with the new Speaker of the House, Todd Houston. And there are going to be some extraordinary challenges. Uh, my mantra, and my team has known this for the last 20 years as the Republican leader, has been something my dad, who served in the legislature before I did, uh, had taught me. And that was, uh, you know, when it, when it gets tough, just do what's right and let the politics shake out for itself. Uh, hopefully, uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. And uh, it, it'll be difficult times. Fortunately, our state was in tremendous fiscal shape. Uh, due to strong conservative leadership over the last, uh, especially last 10 years. And uh, we'll be able to weather the storm better than the vast majority of states. All right. Also this week, this coming week, former Congressman John Lewis will be laid to rest. Last week, Indiana Congressman Andre Carson said, Congress, our nation and the world has lost an icon. We will never forget the extraordinary life of Representative Lewis, the bravery he displayed and the values he taught us. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Much more ahead on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.